You know, one of the great things about summer is swimming. And we all know that there's basically two kinds of people. There's the toe dippers, the ones that just kind of sit on the edge and dangle their feet in the water. And then there's those that just dive in and jump in, throwing caution to the wind. And we're actually going to identify this morning with the latter because we are going to cliff dive right off the beginning in Scripture this morning. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, if you'd read with me. Mark, when there's an interesting story, maybe a familiar story, but it's interesting nonetheless. It says, as Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who would later be called Peter. Jesus would change his name. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were both also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now that's an intriguing decision that these guys made. At the invitation of one guy, they dropped everything they'd ever known and followed him. Would you have done that? I'll let you think about that for a little bit, and we'll circle back to the story here in just a minute. But every day, we make hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions, don't we? Now, obviously, some decisions are more important than others, the decisions that we make. But we have, we have decisions that are like what I call life decisions, the big decisions. About getting married, buying a house, where I'm going to work, am I going to move my family. All those kinds of decisions are the, really the, the life choices. Then we have the decisions that are a matter of priority. You know, I've got five things that have to be done. Which one of them is more important? Then I have the, the decisions about choices that I have to make. Do I do what I want to do, or do I do what I have to do? For example, do I go on vacation, or do I buy tires for the car? Vacation, tire, that can be the tougher ones, can't it? Now, how do you make decisions? Are you a logic decision maker, or do you make decisions by feel? And if you're not sure this morning which camp you fall in, let me ask you a couple of questions to clarify. You know, if you make a pros and cons list, you're probably a logic decision maker. If you like to know all the options and weigh out all the possible outcomes, yeah, you're probably using logic to make a decision. If at any point in this process, the thought comes to you, that maybe I could use a spreadsheet for this. <laughs> I think we all know which camp you fall in. Or maybe you're one of those people that like to make a decision. You say, I feel like this is the right thing to do. It just seems that this is the right thing to do. This is the way I should go. And you make decisions by feel. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's one other option you may not have considered. And this is the one I chose. I googled how to make a decision. <laughs> and the first site I came to said, now listen, if you're going to make a decision, if you're going to make a well-informed decision, you have got to gather in all the information that you can possibly gather in so that you can make a really good decision. And I said, you know, that seems about right. That seems logical to me. 
And then I looked at the next side, and it said, now, if you really want to make a good decision, you have to be focused. You can't just take any information from anywhere. You've just got to take information that pertains particularly to your situation. And I thought, that's terrific. Now I can't even make a decision about how to make a decision. <laughs> you know, and, but we do this kind of analysis all the time, don't we? I mean, that's life. And it, for, for our purposes this morning, it doesn't matter whether you make your decisions by logic or you make your decisions by feel or you use Google. I'm going to lump them all into the same category and I'm going to call it reason. Because reason is where we live a vast majority of our lives. Reason is what we use generally to decide where we're going to work. Reason is what we use to decide where we're going to live. Reason is what we use to decide what it is we're going to do. Right? And there's nothing wrong with reason except that it leaves out one very important factor. It completely ignores faith. Now, if you're a Christ follower, if we're Christ followers, shouldn't faith be something that enters into the decision-making process pretty early on? And yet most of us only consider faith as a last resort. Right? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you're new to Christianity or you're just checking out this, this whole Jesus thing, I invite you to listen in as we explore the impact that faith should have on our daily lives. What does faith require of us? Is faith something that you, you store in a bookshelf until you need it? Is faith something that lies dormant for days or even weeks at a time? but you only pull it out when you're desperate? Is faith something that only appears in a crisis? When your family's in turmoil or your family's in jeopardy, suddenly faith comes onto the scene. Or is faith something that we live out every day, that we incorporate into our everyday life? Have you ever been at that intersection between reason and faith, where Reason is telling you one thing, and faith is telling you something else. What do you do when reason and faith collide? You feel like God is, maybe you feel like God is calling you on a global adventure, but reason tells you how much that's going to cost. Maybe you feel like God is calling you to serve, teaching children or, or leading a students in a small group. But reason tells you why that's not really a good idea. Maybe God is leading you to stop your career right now and step out on faith. But reason rears its ugly head. Maybe God is leading you to share your God story with somebody. Maybe God is leading you to be involved in a body life group for the very first time. Maybe God is calling you to be involved in foster care. But, but, but. What does faith require of you? And this tension between reason and faith is something that we wrestle with all the time, isn't it? Now, reason isn't a bad thing. We should be wise and we should be discerning and we should use the intelligence that God gave us but I suspect that for most of us, reason wins more than its fair share of its battles with faith. 
I have no scientific evidence to prove, to prove this, but I suspect that 99% of the time when we're at that intersection, reason wins. Now, the dictionary definition of faith is a strong belief or trust in something or someone, a belief and trust in and loyalty to God in a system of religious beliefs. Now, when we talk about reason and faith, we let, we let reason win, and sadly, we rarely consider what might have happened if we'd have stepped out on faith. We let reason win when there's no reason for reason to win. Did that sound, did that sound okay? It sounded good in my head. I'm not sure how it came out. We let reason win when there's no reason to let reason to win. How do I know? God leads us to an opportunity. Perhaps there's somebody in need. We have the resources to help, and reason tells us, you know, they're probably just going to waste whatever it is you do for them, whatever it is you give them, and we do nothing. Now, wait a minute. What led, you to that, what led you to that opportunity? Was it reason or was it God? And yet we choose the path of reason. When we look at this dictionary of faith, this, this definition of faith, isn't that how most people define faith? See, faith can be a system of religious beliefs. It can be something that helps us, helps give definition to our world. When unexplainable things happen, Christians put our belief in an almighty God. When things don't work out the way that we think they should, we choose to believe that God is sovereign. And when bad things happen, when a, when a family member is diagnosed perhaps with a serious illness, we seek comfort in our relationship with a loving God. But what I notice about how most people define faith is that it's very static. When in reality, there's, there's two sides to this idea of faith. There's, there's the believing side that says, when, I, when I'm sitting on faith, when life is a struggle, and I hold on to God with that white knuckle grip, that is faith. But it's really an incomplete picture of faith. Because faith is more than just believing. Faith is also doing because of what we believe. See, faith, believing, and action are two different sides of the very same coin. And Bible says, and Bible faith, it's, it's a verb. James chapter 2 says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. What does faith require? Faith requires action. You will not have a maturing faith if you're not acting out on the things that you say that you believe. But we are only a handful of truths away, truths away from truly living by faith. And we're going to talk about a couple of them this morning and a couple next week. And we're going to look at the life of Peter. Now, Peter was one of these guys that wrestled with the same, had the same tension that he wrestled with between faith and reason that we do. And he didn't let reason win. Peter chose faith, and it changed the course of his life. See, Peter's pretty well known. You know, there's lots of Peter stories in the Bible. But can I tell you that Peter was a pretty unlikely Jesus follower. 
He began in humble origins. He was a fisherman. He and his brother Andrew were fishermen on the sea. And, and can I tell you that first century fishermen were pretty rough fellows. In fact, the other two guys in the story named James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. And it's not because they knew anything about the weather. It's because they were very tempestuous. They had big tempers. And these guys could be obnoxious. They could be crass. They could be impetuous. And that's what makes this story so interesting. That's what makes the story fascinating, that Jesus would choose them. But he invited these experienced, professional, crass fishermen to follow him. And they did. An unknown carpenter says, come follow me. And these guys immediately leave everything behind to follow him. Now, it couldn't have been an easy decision. And I don't know what they were thinking, but I can imagine that in the back of their minds, they knew that the step that they were taking was a risk. They knew that there was a chance that this might not work out the way they thought it would. Because they were leaving the family business behind, and they were following this unknown itinerant rabbi. See, for, G for Peter, following Jesus that day meant following uncertainty. It took a lot of faith because Jesus never promised security. In fact, he promised just the opposite. There was once a guy that came to where Jesus and in Luke 9, 58, he said, he said, listen, I will follow you wherever you lead. And Jesus said to him, foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That doesn't sound like a guy that was promising security. Now Luke the gospel writer Luke, as he was wont to do, actually gives us more information about this story, about the story we read at the very beginning, gives us more details. And if you read the, read the account in Luke, you'll, what, Luke chapter 5, what you'll see is that Jesus was actually sitting in the boat, in Peter's boat, and he was teaching the people that were on the shore. And after he finished teaching them, he told Peter and Andrew, he said, now, let's push out into the deep. And they went out into the deep, and he said, now, I want you to lower your nets. And they said something to the effect of, with all due respect, sir, we have been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you ask us, we'll put down our nets. And if you know the story, you know they put down their nets, and they got such a catch of fish that they couldn't even bring their nets up. Their nets were breaking. They had to call James and John over here. Hey, come help us get this net full of fish out of the water. And it was after that that Jesus said, come follow me. Now, when you hear that version of the story, you might say, wow, that's a whole different perspective. Because, you know, if I had seen, personally, if I'd seen a miracle like that, well, I would be much more inclined to follow Jesus. It'd be much easier for me to step out in faith and follow him. Can I tell you something? If you're a Jesus follower, you have experienced a miracle like that. If you're a Jesus follower, there came a time in your life when you realized that you were separated from God, the God that created you, and you, you realized that there were a lot of things that you may have tried to get back to God. It may have been treating people well or doing good deeds or re reading the Bible more or just being a good person, but at some point you realized that all the good things that you were doing we're not getting you back up to God. They were, they were not enough to get you back to a relationship with God. And then somebody introduced you 
to Jesus. And Jesus, through Jesus, you had forgiveness of your sin, and there's your miracle. There's your personal miracle. So don't tell me that you haven't had a chance to see God in action. Because if you're a Jesus follower, you have. And then the next step of faith is yours. What does faith require? See, I mean, most Christians have the mistaken notion that faith is going to reduce uncertainty. Faith is going to make our lives more secure. But I believe the Bible teaches us that faith doesn't reduce uncertainty. Because, see, faith doesn't always lead to a place where our circumstances make sense. Because Jesus is going to lead his people to go and to do things that defy reason. Why? Because those are the circumstances that require total reliance on God. And what I want us to see today is that faith requires us to embrace uncertainty. Now, I'm going to hit pause for just a second. Some of you uh, that have been here for a while may know my story about how I came to Grace Point. But for those of you who don't, I'm going to rewind a couple of years back and, and tell you how that happened, give you the short version of it. In essence, there came a time about two and a half years ago when I felt like God was leading me to Grace Point Church. In fact, he'd even given me a Bible verse in Isaiah 55 that I believe confirmed what he was calling me to do. But the timing just wasn't right. It just wasn't working out. And, and, and so there was this sense of uncertainty about what was going on. And so because the timing was uncertain, I decided that I had to keep applying for jobs in business, the kind of jobs I'd had for a long time. And so I did that. Now, there came a point in time when I had a firm job offer in business. And I had to make a decision. I had the weekend to make a decision. I had this job offer and I felt like God was leading me to Grace Point, but just the timing wasn't quite right. And I had a choice to make. And I prayed about it. And on Monday morning, I turned down that business offer with nothing else in my hand. Within a matter of, of days, really, the wheels were in motion, the pieces were in place, and I started my move to northwest Arkansas. But lest you think that that was only one thing, let me ask you, what, what did faith require of me in that case? It required me to give up security and comfort and safety. But that wasn't just a point in time. There's a month ago that many of you know, just within the last month, where I, I made the transition from being responsible for missions and, and local community uh, outreach to where now I'm responsible for the body life groups and family ministries and spiritual formation. And when Mike came to me and asked me about that, the easy thing for me to do would have been to say, no, I'm, I'm satisfied where I am. Listen, we sent more people on global adventures last year than we've ever sent before. The wheels are in motion. I feel like I've got some traction here. I'm comfortable. This is an area of natural confidence for me. But I said, Mike, I'll pray about it. And let me tell you, I didn't make a list of pros and cons. I just said, God, you tell me what you want me to do. And Jesus, and God led me to Proverbs 16, verse 3. He said, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. What God told me through that verse, he said, listen, when you surrender to me, 
You didn't surrender to a position. You didn't surrender to an organization. You didn't surrender to a church. You surrendered to me. And when you surrendered to me, you said, I'm gonna follow where you lead. And so I, I committed to the Lord and said, let you, I'll let you, let you establish my plans. Now, has there been a sense of uncertainty? Absolutely. But that's where faith leads. Long before Indiana Jones was ever around, Martin Luther King said this, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Read the Bible. I think what you'll find is the more faith people had, the more uncertainty they had. And the more uncertainty they were able to endure, and the greater they saw God working around them. You know, Jesus often put his disciples in uncertain circumstances. If you just read a little bit further in Mark, in chapter 6, you'll see the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I won't rehash that whole story, but at the very beginning of that story, at least 5,000 people sitting there, Jesus was going was to feed them, but he turns to the disciples and he says, you guys give them some food. Now imagine the disciples said, you're talking to us. What, do you think we have food back here for 5,000 people? There was, a, there was a time of uncertainty in that story. But why did Jesus do that? So that when he provided, they would know that he had the power to provide. Further on in Mark chapter 6, just a little bit further on in that story, he sends the disciples out in a boat, out into the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. They get halfway across the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm comes up and they think they're going to drown. You talk about uncertainty. They knew they were going to drown. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water and calms the water. Why? So that he could show them that he had power over nature. Or how about this one? In Mark chapter 11, there's a really interesting story. Jesus sends some of his disciples. He said, now listen, I want you guys to go down to Jerusalem. And when you get down there, you're going to find a colt tied up. Untie him and bring him to me. And oh, by the way, if somebody asks you what you're doing, you say, you just tell them, the Lord has need of it. Would you have done that? This guy, so, so the disciples did it. They did exactly as they were told. They go to Jerusalem. They find the colt. They're untying it. And sure enough, guy comes up and says, hey, what are you doing with my colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And he let him go. That faith step began Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. If you're familiar with Hebrews 11, you know that this is the, the hero's hall of fame. The hall of fame for people that, that had a lot of faith. And if you look, at, you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And it lists off the heroes of the faith, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. And also includes a bunch of people that we don't know anything about that maybe most of us had never even heard of. But what did faith require of them? See, it wasn't just having faith that made them heroes. It's what their faith led them to do that was significant. What did their faith require them? Look, verse 7 in chapter 11. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, built an ark. Now I would point out that he was nowhere near a body of water. 
The next verse, by faith Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. You see the uncertainty there? Or how about this? By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now there's an uncertain circumstance for you. By faith Moses left Egypt. By faith, the, pe the nation of Israel passed through the Red Sea as if they were on dry land. What did faith require of them? It required them to embrace uncertainty. Now, if we go back to our story about Peter, see, here's the issue. We, if we read the Bible like it was a textbook, we read about a, a story from 2,000 years ago, and because we know the ending of it, we fail to appreciate the uncertainty of the situation. Because we know the outcome, we assume that the outcome is a given. But when Jesus called Peter and his followers to follow him that day, there was a great, a great degree of uncertainty. These guys could have stayed on the Sea of Galilee fishing. But they decided to walk the path of uncertainty. And God rewarded them for, them, rewarded them for it. See, Peter had some incredible experiences, some incredible opportunities. It was Peter who, along with James and John, were part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter had a ringside seat to every miracle that Jesus did. Peter saw Jesus raise people from the dead. In Acts chapter 3, God worked through Peter to heal people. It was Peter that preached him on Pentecost on the day when he saw 3,000 believers, new believers, come to Jesus. He was the preacher. It was Peter that God chose to be the first one to take the gospel to non-Jews. Read the story of Cornelius. Peter was the leader of the first New Testament church. But what I want us to see is that none of this would have happened if Peter had chosen to not follow Jesus that day. Now, Peter also had some epic fails in his life, and we'll talk some more about those next week. But what you need to realize is that Peter's success was not a foregone conclusion. This idea of following Jesus required him to embrace uncertainty. But see, that's what makes it such a great story. That's what makes it such a God-honoring story. And what I want us to see is how much of our spiritual life boils down to this one idea of certainty and uncertainty. What does faith require of us? See, we want control. But following Jesus and living by faith requires us to give up control. We want to know the whole script up front. We want to know how this is all going to play out, and then we'll determine what our response will be. But that's not how God works. See, I fear that far too many Christians are bored with their faith. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because they've settled for security and safety. And it's sad to say, but they intentionally try to live boring, predictable, safe lives. But if you actually step out on faith, if you choose to not walk the path of certainty and security, your faith won't be boring any longer. And you will see God do incredible things around you. See, God is calling us out of our comfort zone. God is calling us to the edge, and we make excuses. 
We're kind of like Moses. You know the story of Moses when God was saying, now, Moses, here's the deal. I want you to go lead the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. You're the man. And Moses says, I don't speak too good. Isn't that what we do? We kind of make excuses. See, when we do that, what we're saying is, my limitations are greater than God's supernatural ability to work through me. So you might ask, but, but really, I mean, what can one person do? My answer is, whatever God can do. See, it's not about what you can't do, but it's rather it's about what God can do through you. And Ephesians 3.20 says, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask or imagine. See, Peter was one of the most unlikely people to be one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of those guys that just sometimes didn't seem like he'd get it. He got it. But Jesus saw something in him. And I believe Jesus sees something in each one of us more than we see in ourselves. The naysayers will tell you that why it's a bad idea to follow Jesus. They'll tell you that it's just not a good idea to step out on faith. They'll say things like, you know, it's irresponsible of you to leave your children for 10 days and go on a global adventure. They'll say it's irresponsible of, of you to introduce foster children into your well-established home. It's irresponsible of you to give up your career and follow God. But if you let the opinions of others, well-meaning though they might be, if you let the opinions of others limit you, you will not have the courage to embrace uncertainty. And so you'll stay in your safe zone and you'll never be what God intends for you to be. When you look back on your life, I believe the defining moments of our lives are going to be those intersections where we had the opportunity and we had to decide whether we were going to step out in faith and walk the path of certainty and safety and security or whether we were going to embrace uncertainty. Matthew 19 may be one of the saddest stories in the entire Bible. A rich young man comes to Jesus in verse chapter 16 and he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you need to, first off, you need to keep the commandments. He says, well, I've been doing that since I was a child. And then this young man asks a question that reveals that something is missing in his life. He says, what do I still lack? See, on paper, he had everything. But he knew that there was something missing in his life. There was no excitement, no sense of adventure, because those things only happen when one is living by faith. And so Jesus issued him a challenge. He said, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was asking this young man to sacrifice his certainty and his security. Those things that came about because of his, his possessions, because of his wealth. Jesus is saying, I want you to get rid of all those things that you put your faith in. And the young man, Scripture says, the young man walked away sad and declined. Now, what strikes you about this story? Is it that Jesus would command somebody to give up everything? Or 
that this young man had the opportunity to follow Jesus. Because see, from one perspective, Jesus is asking this young man to, to sacrifice everything that he knew. But from another perspective, he gave him the opportunity of a lifetime. I dare say that there's no one in the history of humanity that had a better internship opportunity than this guy. He had a chance to walk beside God, the Son of God, side by side. And he said no. Why? Because he wasn't willing to give up the certainties in his life. He wasn't willing to walk that path of uncertainty. So was Jesus' challenge in this story, was it only for this one young man in this one point in time? Or is this challenge for you and for me as well? What does faith require of us? Now, compare that story with the story of the uneducated fishermen that Jesus called to be his disciples. In a day when the average person never traveled more than 30 miles from the place that they grew up, Jesus told these guys, go into all the world and share the gospel. I might point out that that was 1,500 years before the age of exploration. And historians tell us that Peter made it to Italy, that Andrew went to Russia, James went to Spain, John went to Asia, these fishermen who could have lived their entire life within a stone's throw of the Sea of Galilee traveled the entire ancient world and turned it upside down. They could have walked the path of certainty. They could have spent the rest of their lives fishing. But Jesus turned them into something special. He turned them into history makers. You know... Jared, a couple weeks ago, talked about the fact that our life is telling a story. Brett, just last week, said, you know, that sometimes you just have to jump. My encouragement to you is, live a life that's worth telling stories about. Live a life of example to your kids, to your coworkers, to your neighbors that's worth telling stories about. Isn't the author and the perfecter of our faith worth that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't have time to tell this whole story, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during the Nazi Holocaust. And he said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Here's my challenge to you. Do something that's going to require faith. It may be something that you have never done before, but it'll give you that uneasy, queasy feeling, and you say, God, I believe this is where you're calling me, but boy, it's scary. Pursue that God-ordained passion that he's called you to. Maybe it's to give generously. Maybe it's to share your God story with somebody. Maybe it's to glow on a global adventure. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But if you do, you will experience God like you've never experienced him before. You will have a new understanding of God. And your faith will have entirely new dimensions to it. 
Mike, a few weeks back, said that his vision for Grace Point Church is that we would be a courageous church. Now, there's lots of adjectives used to describe church, but courageous isn't usually one of them. But isn't that what living and walking by faith requires? It's courage. What are you holding on to? Like the young rich man, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from fully following Jesus? See, I don't know what God's calling you to do, but here's what I know. If you choose to be obedient, it's gonna require you to embrace some uncertainty. I have no idea what's on the other side of your obedience. But what if, what if you make the decision to take the first step on the path that God's calling you to? So here's the question. Are you gonna walk the path of certainty and security and safety? Or are you gonna follow in the footsteps of Jesus? and embrace the uncertainty that comes with that and see what story he writes on your life. What does faith require of you? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning. This is your opportunity to do business with God. I don't know what he's calling you to do. You know that, I don't. whatever that is, my encouragement to you is that you say yes. Say yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in God. I want to have a new dimension to my faith. I want to understand you better. What is it that God's calling you to do? If you're not a Jesus follower this morning, then your next step of faith is clear. Maybe your first step of faith. Jesus has done everything necessary. He's gone as far as he can go toward you. And now it's your opportunity to take a step of faith. Be obedient. Embrace the uncertainty. And do what God's calling you to do.